Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Wherever you are on your journey to glorify God, we are so glad you're here. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll come alongside you in the seasons and challenges of life to move you to know and love God in His Word, to find your hope in the gospel, and to invest deeply in your local church as you go out on mission for the glory of God. Today, we're talking to Jamie Dunlop about one of the things that we can all probably say contributes to weariness in our lives, dealing with difficult people. Instead of running away from the relationships that drive us crazy, Jamie encourages us to pursue unity in Christ and to build genuine friendships across all of our differences as an opportunity to display the gospel's power. I think you're going to find this conversation so practically helpful, and I can't wait to share it with you. But before we go there, I just want to say a big thank you to those of you who support Journey Women Ministries by donating to the podcast. With your help, we are coming alongside more women to move them to know and love God, and we are so grateful. If you'd like to help us in our aim to move women to know and love God and His Word, to find their hope in the gospel, and to invest deeply in their local churches as they go out on mission for the glory of God, you can do so at journeywomenpodcast.com forward slash give. Jamie, welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. Oh, it's a delight to be here. Thank you, Hunter. This is so much fun. I was telling you that I actually read your first book. Is it your first book, Compelling Community? That was my my very first book, yes, other than my my undergraduate thesis on bridge design. Yes. <laughs> so quite a different piece of work. Yeah. Uh, well, I read that in the context of our little church plant here in Northwest Arkansas. It's called Compelling Community. You co-authored it with Mark Dever. Mm-hmm. And it was such a wonderful read. And so when your new book, Loving the Ones Who Drive You Crazy, came across my desk, I was compelled to (laughs) pick it up because of your name on the cover and thought that it might be a really helpful thing for us to discuss in light of our current series, Rest for the Weary, because so often some of the weariness that we experience as we go about the work that the Lord has set before us is in dealing with people who might be difficult to love. So what compelled you to pin this book, Jamie? Uh, Why, I joke that I wrote it to help all my friends so they could learn how to love me better. (laughs) Uh, And I I can't tell you, I've probably had 50 people who recommended I dedicate the book to them. (laughs) But uh, what what compelled me, well, two things compelled me to write the book. The first is you mentioned that first book that I think is maybe eight years old by now, uh, The Compelling Community, about how it's it's God's power in the community of the local church that makes the gospel attractive. And uh, w- one of the main ideas of that book is that it's particularly loving people with whom we share little in common other than Christ 
that shows off the gospel, that shows off the power of the gospel. And the book doesn't make much more than that point. It just sort of states it, shows that from the book of Ephesians, and then moves on to some other matters. And I've had so many people who have said, I get it. I like it. How? Right? How do how do right. I how do I build those bridges? That was one one uh a kind of thing that was stuck in my head for the last few years is, uh, is there a way to get a how? The second is, I think like many churches, my church went through a very challenging time in 2020, 2021, as uh, we dealt with the regulations from our city about the pandemic. We're on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., so politics is never far Uh, as a source of difference, at least in the church. And of course, working through the election was a challenge for our church. Uh, There were protests and riots in our neighborhood, in our city that, you know, were a source of division for some in the church. And uh, that was a very hard time as a pastor and as a church member. I would spend a lot of time in Romans uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 during those years. And as I talked to different members of my church who were upset with each other or upset with me, I just kept hearing those themes from the last chapters of the Book of Romans emerging in our congregation. I learned so much from maybe especially the members who disagreed with me, who were calling me because they were upset with things I had done or said. I learned a lot from them about what it looks like to work through difference and difficulty in uh, through faith of, of saying, look, I'm upset by this, but I also recognize that I'm your brother or your sister in Christ, and we can work through this together. And I think in the process of doing that, I realized, oh, I think I, I think this is the how that I've been asked for from that initial book. Uh, maybe not the way I intended it, but uh, those chapters of Romans are, it's the how. Uh, for for mm. the Roman Christians, it was how can brand new Christians from Jewish backgrounds and brand new Christians from Gentile backgrounds be together in the church. But uh, obviously, we don't deal with the same situation very frequently today. But the principles uh, that Paul's dealing with, the differences in background, the differences in culture, the differences in uh, especially conviction, as we see there in you know, the, uh, the section Paul gives to us in Romans 14, the beginning of the 15, that's what we need in our churches today when we see those differences. So that may be a longer answer when you're looking for, uh, Hunter, but uh, kind of those, those are the two paths into the book that you have on your desk. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what a countercultural witness the church is mm. able to be. I mean, everybody knows in 2020, 2021, like we lost the ability to be friends mm. across differences. That's when the cancel culture heightened. And now everybody's afraid to even express their opinion because you don't want to lose relationship. Mm. And yet the church, we have this great opportunity to show that we can actually, as you said, be friends across differences. So why did God put different types of people in our churches and allow us to experience the friction that comes with those differences and conflicts that we might find ourselves navigating. Well, I think the first thing to recognize, Hunter, is that he did it. I think sometimes we see these differences, we assume something went wrong, but even even the premise of your question is a really important one for us to remember that this is God's choice. I can even answer your question just by thinking through the places in the New Testament where Paul uses the image of the body of Christ with its diversity of different members. 
You know, in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses that image. Uh, and one of his main points is that we need each other. So he, he put different people in the church because we're not sufficient by ourselves. We need people who are different from us. And that all seems really nice and happy until you actually meet some of those people and you realize, oh, gosh. Right. You know, sounds great in theory. Some of those differences drive me crazy. I think in, in Ephesians 4, you see that same image. And Paul's point there is that we need the, the multiplicity of the church to mature. Uh, he says that uh, we will grow up in Christ as we do this. Uh, mm. Romans chapter 12 uses the same image, and I think the focus there is that we belong together, uh, which can feel intimidating. Like, really? I belong with that person? But I think we need to see that as a promise, an invitation to discover that your oneness in Christ is actually something you can build a friendship off of. I'm particularly struck maybe the end of that section in Romans to give you maybe one last answer to that question, maybe the biggest answer to that question. Paul's been talking about uh, all the different ways that Jewish and Gentile Christians can disagree in the Roman churches. And he has this magnificent prayer for them. Uh, Romans 15, verse 5, he says, May the God of endurance, which tells us something, right? <laughs> it's not easy. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Uh, what he's saying there is, look, I know you have these disagreements, and we're not going to try to resolve all these disagreements. Uh, we're going to try to love each other despite these disagreements. And as we do that, as we show that being in accord with Christ Jesus is enough to live in harmony with one another, that's how with one voice we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the main answer to that question is God did it because that's how he shows off how great he is. He is mm -hmm. so great that he can throw brand new Jewish Christians in the Roman church and brand new Gentile Christians in the Roman church who don't understand each other and have a long history of discord. And though it's not easy, the gospel is powerful enough. Jesus Christ is beautiful enough to bring them together, and that shows off who he is. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. 
oh, it's so beautiful. And then, like you said, we talk about it in theory, but in practice, it actually, like, it's beautiful to an outsider. But Jamie, let's be honest, like, it doesn't feel like a beautiful experience. I think many of our listeners, they may be in that right now where they're just struggling to love people that they're ministering to, Mm. um, maybe just because of I don't know, ongoing besetting sin or just different challenges that you navigate in the local church context when you're doing life together. So how can we really pursue Christ exalting unity and choose to love people that are driving us crazy in practice? Mm. Well, I mean, I can give you a 185 page answer to your question, (laughs) (laughs) which is that book. How do we do it? Well, we remember that it's no accident. So I think sometimes when I am at odds with someone else in my church, um, it's because of sin and I need to repent or they need to repent. But, you know, very often, uh, though, you know, sin is always kind of mixed in with our motives in a fallen world. You realize, okay, this is this is not a a sin focused problem. This is just we're just different. Right. And that's what I do remember. It's no accident. God put me here. I'm really struck in uh, in Luke 6, where Jesus says, if you love those who love you, uh, what is that to you? What, what reward will you get? Is how he puts it in Matthew. And you realize, hmm. um, yeah, there are people who are easy to love, and that's great. It's encouraging to me. We can help each other. But that doesn't really prove out the power of the gospel in my life. And so rather than seeing those relationships as the place where you know, things have gone wrong. I've got to get out, at least out of this relationship and out of the church. I need to just right. realize, oh no, <laughs> this is where my faith is being tested. This is where God is perhaps most glorified in my life. It's how I view this particular friendship. So how mm. do you do that? You you recognize that you're a sinner and that uh, that Jesus died for your sin at the cost of his life though you deserved none of that, you deserved hell. And I think as we as we lean into the mercy God has shown us, that's, that's how we show mercy to others. Jesus even gets mm-hmm. that in Luke 6. After he tells us to love our enemies, he says, uh, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's, that's where our mercy comes from. I think we remember that Jesus Christ's reputation is on the line. Uh, so when I decide that that person can no longer be my friend, though we are both in Christ because of some difference between us. I just I need to know that uh, that Christ's reputation just went down a notch when I did that. Uh, mm. I said at least practically, Jesus is not enough, and I know that's not true. I need to recognize I mentioned earlier from Romans twelve that God did put us together in the church, and I can trust His choice. Mm-hmm. And as we continue to pursue love for each other in the local church, with the hope that eventually we'll discover the oneness we have in Christ to be bigger than the differences that divide us, I can trust God's choice in that. So a, a mm-hmm. few different thoughts. Uh, maybe another one that has been useful for me is to, uh, to find the affection that comes from hope. Uh, so like... I'll give you an example. I've got three kids, junior high and high school, um, and it's delightful to watch them uh, act more and more like men and women of faith. Hmm. But they don't always act like men and women of faith. 
And, uh, you know, when, when my child uh, decides to do something wonderful for a sibling, a selfless act, it's, I, f- I feel that great affection for them. But that affection is not a naive feeling like, oh, we finally arrived. Now they're never going to be selfish again in their lives. Mm. No, that, that affection is rooted in hope that I see something evolving, something maturing in their life that will continue to mature. And mm. uh, if my children's selfishness is not an obstacle to my affection for them, I think in the same, it can be true in the church, that uh, I could look at someone's weaknesses, deficiencies, differences, and be frustrated with them, or I can begin to see the faith that is motivating growth in their lives, and through hope of what God is doing, I can actually find real affection, uh, which I think is something Paul talks about there in the middle of Romans chapter 12. Jamie mentioned some passages of Scripture from Romans chapter 12 and chapter 15. These are passages that give us such robust and practical encouragement when it comes to living out what we're talking about in this episode, loving others, especially those who might be more difficult to love. Paul does such a good job of exhorting us towards this end, so I'm going to read some of his words directly from the book of Romans. This is from Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function— So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. With that said, Paul goes on, Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The kind of love Paul calls us to here is hard. It's a humble, lowly, self-giving type of love. But by walking by the Spirit and leaning on Christ's strength, we can love others in this way. Later in Romans chapter 15, Paul goes on, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let it be so. May we all pursue to love one another, even those who are different from us, so that through our love, God might be glorified. Yeah, I, I loved how you wrote in your book that 
signs of disagreement can actually be an encouragement instead of Mm. pure disappointment. Like when we look for that work that the Lord is working in us. And then when we look also for opportunities to showcase the gospel through that, I I think then it's an encouragement that this disagreement isn't like an obstacle to whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, but that the Lord might use it to, again, to portray the gospel message to onlookers. So how does he do that? How does he use our differences to showcase his gospel power? I mean, mainly by by uh, by showing that love in Christ is stronger than those differences. You know, mm. if, I'll give you. I, I used Jew and Gentile already. Let me give you another example. In the New Testament, you got in Acts chapter six. It's before Gentiles are invited into the church, but you still have these differences. You have Jews who grew up in Gentile culture and Jews who grew up in the local culture, and they're famous, we know, from other historians for their hatred for each other. Well, the first church in Jerusalem was both Jewish Jews and Hellenistic Jews, Greek Greek culture Jews. And there's a disagreement in that church because the charge has been made that the, the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked as the church right. is trying to care for widows. You probably remember that passage. And one thing that's so interesting, so basically what happens, the apostles get the whole church together. They say, this is a really big problem. Why is it a big problem? Well, because it's testing the claim of the gospel to unite across this fault line, right? That's Mm. The apostles love widows, and they love the unity of the church that seems to be in danger here. They say, it's it's such a big problem. We're having a members meeting with every Christian on the planet. Right, <laughs> and then they throw it back to the church. They say, "You pick from yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom." I'm paraphrasing, and they will be the first deacons to try to sort this out. I find it interesting. All they gave them is the number seven. I think it's an odd number, which just means that they can't do the the obvious thing, which is have a balanced committee of half. Hellenist, half Hebrew. (laughs) Uh, So the church goes out, they pick the seven men, and what's so interesting is that Luke lists all seven men there in Acts 6, and they all have Greek names. And Hmm. that doesn't mean they were all Hellenists, but certainly seems very likely, uh, which is probably why Luke took the real estate in the book of Acts to mention all seven names. He's like, look, this is amazing. This majority Hebrew congregation loves the unity of Christ so much, they're willing to uh, entrust their widows to the foreign, unfamiliar, uh, up until a few weeks ago, untrustworthy Greek-speaking Jews. And it's interesting because um, Luke then says that a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. And I just think, well, gosh, who in that society would have been more familiar with all the infighting between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Aramaic-speaking Jews but the priests? And I think what you see there, at least implicitly, is an example of exactly what we described, that when that church said, we think that unity in Christ is worth sacrifice, then people notice. And mm. that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. I think we see that in our churches today, when, when we show that uh, differences, that this world kind of fans into flame, should not divide the church. Uh, then God gets glory and people notice. You know, one thing I'm thinking about as you're talking is just how often we feel as though 
when we're in a season of weariness, the church is, you know, for us. And how even when we're talking about these differences, how maybe when we're in a season where we feel like, oh, we're not quite getting along with everyone, maybe we should move to a different church. Mm. Like just not really understanding what the church actually is for and about. So talk to me about God's purpose for the church and what happens when we really begin to see that purpose rightly and to lean into that together. Well, it's a super important question. And it's amazing how how rare it is that we Christians actually answer that question. What is God's purpose for the church? I think it's really easy for us to think that God's purpose for the church is merely missions, church planting, evangelism, all the stuff the church does. Those are really important. Uh, but we see in Scripture, I think, in, in the book of Romans, Ephesians both come to mind, is that there's something deeper. God's purpose for the church is to be a display of His glory. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I talk about in the book is that we get wrapped up in all the stuff the church does, but we need to recognize that deeper than that, the church's purpose is something it shows, that it's a display, and all the stuff it does are, you know, it's kind of the pigments that make that painting, that it's painting of Jesus. And so if I think that the the purpose of the church is rooted purely in what it does, then all these different, you know, the Jew-Gentile differences are just going to feel like a tragic waste of time. And we might as well divide into a church of Jews over here, a church of Gentiles over here, because we can can get a lot more done that way. Uh, You know, we can divide in the church of homeschoolers over here and public schoolers over there. We can divide into a church of, you know, this political stream versus that. You can just imagine where that takes us. And yet, if I realize, okay, no, the church is fundamentally a display of the beauty of our Savior, it gives me a lot more patience and enthusiasm for working through some of those differences rather than feeling like, gosh, this is hard. I'm out of here. Right. This is an obstacle to us trying to accomplish this other thing that's more important when actually maybe working through these differences and extending or or showcasing the power and the love of Jesus Christ to our brother or sister who's sitting next to us in the pew that's creating so much, you know, angst. That actually might be like the perfect agenda. It may seem like quite inconvenient, but... Yeah. And, and of course, the two are related. Think about Jesus in John 13. He says, by this, all people know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another, right? Yes. So as yes. we love, particularly as we love those the people the world would say, I don't know why you're loving that person, it's evangelistic mm. in nature. So it's not like these things are separate. They're very much together, but you're absolutely right that Loving the ones at church who we wouldn't otherwise love except for the fact that we're Christians is actually a particularly powerful demonstration of the beauty of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think you've mentioned many of these things just in passing in this conversation, but I wonder if it might be helpful to hear them in a more condensed format. But what are some of the things that we mistakenly might be focusing on that could exacerbate feelings of weariness as we're talking about kind of weariness in this particular season of Journey Women? What might we be mistakenly focusing on that contribute to those feelings? Yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't used this word yet, but we've been talking about it. When we view church like a consumer, yeah, you know, if, if I'm there because of what I get out of it, you know, I tell people sometimes we, we shop for a church like you shop for a car. Like, does it have the options I want? Uh, will it give me any trouble? Will it make me look good? If that's how you view church, you're just there for what you can get out of it, then when it's not producing what you want, you get weary. 
right? You get frustrated. I think we can actually make a same mistake on the opposite spectrum where I'm so in it for what I can do that I'm trying to kind of white knuckle my way through these difficult relationships. Hmm. And that can be wearying because I can't do it. I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, Paul's little word there in Romans 12, let love be genuine, is oh, yeah. so useful, right? You can't white knuckle your way to genuine love. Uh, that's huh. a gift of the Spirit. It's something we discover in our oneness of Christ. It's not that I just kind of make happen. I think sometimes we get weary at church because we're thinking, we're brothers and sisters. Gosh darn it. I'm going <laughs> to act like it if it kills me. And when I can't do it in my own strength, I get tired and I get frustrated mm-hmm. and I assume something has gone wrong. Yeah. So when we don't feel like we have the strength to mm. love someone, like where do we find that strength? Jesus. They answered everything, right? Truly, Uh, though, I mean, like, I'm thinking about myself, and I'm like, I've been in these situations, and it just, it almost feels like, Jamie, I'm not making any progress, but mm -hmm. I just continually have to go to the Father and ask for help. Is that a very normal practice when you're struggling to love someone? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, Jesus says we don't have because we don't ask. Huh. Sometimes we're afraid to ask, like, do I really want the Lord to give me a friendship with that person? Uh, right. But absolutely, we should pray. Um, I mentioned earlier just a, a full comprehension of the mercy we've received. Yes. It's interesting, both Jesus and Luke 6 goes there. I mentioned that earlier, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's where Paul begins Romans 12. He says, uh, therefore, in view of the mercies of God— and then we wow. get this whole chapter on love that it you have— so which is why in Ephesians— uh, Paul says his prayer is that the Ephesian Christians would grasp the length and the height and the depth of the love that Christ has for them. If 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 you really grasp how sinful you are, yeah, and how forgiven you are, and how loved you are, uh, you can't help but love God. Mm. And and I think when I'm f- struggling to love someone in my church. That struggle is actually the the seed that will open up into the plant of friendship because hmm. I can just confess to Jesus, like, Lord, I'm really struggling with this person, and I know it's my fault. Hmm. And it's 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 terrible sin that you would have died for both of us to unite us together in part, and yet I don't want to talk to them. And mm-hmm. And as I kind of explore that sin into the recesses of my heart and realize, okay, I'm actually not the just kind of pretty good person, can love anybody like I thought I was, but I'm a sinner, and yet Mm. Jesus has died for me and loved me and forgiven me of even this particular sin. Mm. In a sense, if I kind of ignore that person for a little bit, just think about my sin against Jesus Christ and the love he's shown to me is First John 4 says we love because he first loved us. As I understand how he's loved me, even in the midst of mm-hmm. that particular sin, I think that creates love in my heart that can result in affection for that person. How does the love of Christ actually compel us to love others? Because I think as Christians, we can read and say and memorize verses like First John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. 
And yet we can have a really hard time actually making this connection of how God's love compels us to love others. At least for me, the conversation in this episode has been so convicting. Because to be honest, I think of myself as a really loving person. That is, until I'm confronted with someone who is difficult for me to love. As soon as that happens, I realize that what I thought was genuine love flowing sacrificially out of my heart was actually just an ease of connection or a person who felt natural and easy for me to love. But when I'm seeking to love someone and it's difficult, I truly see my need to rely on the Spirit, on the strength Christ supplies, in order to love that person. I realize that the overflow of love never came from me anyway. I think at the crux of all of this is the Spirit. Yes, it's vital that we intellectually know the gospel truths, that Christ showed ultimate love for us on the cross and that that love should compel us to love others. Yes, it's important to read scripture and memorize those 1 John 4 and 1 Corinthians 13 verses about love. But at the end of the day, what is it that enables us to actually walk out this kind of love? It's the Spirit. It's God with us and God in us that enables us to do this. It's not us. It's Him. The love doesn't actually originate from within us. It comes from Him. So wherever it is that you're attempting to have this love, whoever that person is that you're seeking to love, I hope that you'll look to Christ, look to the strength of the Spirit in you, and allow the beautiful love of God to flow through you to others. When you are in a place where you're trying to like better understand just how much you need Christ, mm. what's been helpful for you, Jamie? Like, how has the Lord brought you along that path just to really open your eyes to see your need for Him? I think I've just I've learned how many of my struggles to love are because of my own self righteousness, to the point where I think I'm more likely today, if I'm in a struggle like that, to assume I am mm-hmm. self righteous as opposed to to assume that other person is the problem. Right. I think just seeing the mercy that has been extended to me and then seeing my lack of mercy. Think about that parable Jesus teaches in Matthew 18, where you got the one servant forgiven a ton, he won't go and forgive the other one. Um, I'm a lot more like that unforgiving servant than I want to be. And that helps me understand, gosh, I've got a long way to go. And Jesus has been Mm -hmm. so patient with me. I think Mm -hmm. looking back is also helpful as I just... I thought I was really mature saying I was 25 years old, right? And I look back and I just think about all the ways that I messed things up and I didn't see things clearly. And yet Jesus was so patient with me and encouraged mm-hmm. me in my growth and encouraged me through his word. Uh, his, his looking back to see his patience is helpful in the present to understand my need for him. Mm-hmm. And it just, uh, it helps to be in ministry as well. As I see the way that he meets the needs of the people around me. That mm. helps me understand the needs I have. Because when when my heart is joined with others and they are struggling, then my need for Christ is, is not just kind of the extent of my own life, it's their life too. And I mm-hmm. find that in my prayer time, say in the morning, I'm extra desperate in prayer because I need not just for myself, but for others. And it's a really mm-hmm. healthy place to be, to just live in that constant feeling of desperation for the grace of God. I'm certainly learning so much through relationships. Mm. I feel like the Lord has used so much 
that I've been navigating over the last probably five years to help me see my own inconsistencies, to cling to the cross of Christ, Mm. you know, to use that kind of Bonhoeffer uh, analogy of us standing at the foot of the cross shadowed by his grace. That's just been like the ultimate test and challenge. And yet the ultimate, I don't know, like it's brought so much freedom, Jamie, to Mm. realize my need and not to try and be justifying my actions and then trying to prove myself Mm. to others. You know, let's talk about that, the friendship piece in the context of our local churches. Sometimes we may not have an affinity. For those of us who are in smaller churches, there may not be like a natural overlap in interest or, you know, just personality types Mm -hmm. where it might make it more difficult to pursue some of those deep kind of covenant friendships that you were referencing. So how can we choose Christ over comfort in our church relationships and pursue those true gospel friendships with people who are just a little bit different than us. Maybe we don't have like extreme conflict, but we don't have like that kindred hearted vibe that we Mm. often look for in our friendships. It's probably first important to note that friendships with people who you do see eye to eye with a lot of things in your church are really important. Yeah. And so I don't want to create a a vision where people are like, oh, I'm only going to have, you know, friendships with the difficult ones. Because, you know, when someone shares your cultural background or maybe they were educated like you where they're from the same part of the country, they can encourage you in really special and important ways. They can call you out faster because I think there's a natural humility that comes when we don't understand someone to, to you know, not push in so hard on ways in which they might not be following Christ as they should. So those friendships of people who you do share a lot in common with are super important. And as a result, I think we have a special stewardship for those friendships, right? The purpose for that commonality is not simply because it's happy and comfortable. The purpose in that commonality is that you can push harder and faster after Jesus together. And let's keep that stewardship in mind. Mm -hmm. And yet... You know, if the Roman Christians who were from Jewish backgrounds only hung out with the Jewish Christians, we would lose such a beautiful demonstration of the unity we have in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so may- maybe one one principle it's important to note is that friendships where you share little in common other than Christ have the potential to be your deepest friendships. Hmm. And that's because, well, you know, you're in Chicago, is that right? No, you're in, you're in Arkansas. North, yes, Arkansas. Okay, so sorry. Um, I was going to give you a sports team, but you don't have sports. So, okay, so you're a Razorbacks fan, right? And uh, uh, Lightly. Okay, well, you're new to Arkansas. You'll become a Razorbacks fan, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've got another friendship at church with someone who, you know, has been called the hogs their entire life. And, right. Uh, so what do you talk about when you get together? Well, you talk about Jesus because you're both Christians, but you talk a lot yeah. about what's going on with your you know, favorite football team. And you've got another friendship at church where you just scratch your head because you have no idea what you share in common other right. than Jesus. So what do you talk about? Well, you've got nothing else to talk about Jesus. Talk. Yeah, you talk about what the Lord's doing in your life and what you're seeing in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you know that second friendship is a little more awkward and yeah. it's going to take a little bit more time and more charity and more patience, and you're probably going to offend each other without realizing it. And yet, Jesus, as, as much as you love the Razorbacks, Jesus is a better foundation for friendship than yeah. you know, that share love of football. 
And to some extent, you know, as Christians, we have this new nature that loves Christ more than comfort. Mm. And we're still dogged by the old nature that loves comfort more than Christ. And very often at church, we act according to that old nature because it's just comfortable, right? We know how yeah. that works. And uh, it's important that we lean into that new nature that says, not as not merely this is a friendship which is important to have, but this is a friendship where I will find Jesus Christ and I love Jesus and I love Jesus far more than being comfortable. And so I'm going to pursue this friendship because that's where I'm going to find Christ the most. And I mm-hmm. think it's that perspective that's super important as we build those friendships and just recognize you're going to bump your nose a whole bunch along the way. And that's just part of part of being in a fallen world. Uh, and yet we're pursuing something beautiful. Yeah, well, this has certainly been a compelling conversation. Mm. I really appreciate it. You know, I know that you as a pastor uh, have probably endured seasons of weariness like you were describing with even just 2020. I mean, that that whole year, it's like, what was the word for the year that year? Weariness. Oh, <laughs> that totally. Was, that was yes. the word. You know? So I know we've all experienced that, but especially in ministry um, and professional ministry, I would just love to hear what it is that brings you rest when you're enduring more difficult seasons in ministry. Mm. Well, I think one thing that prompted me writing the book was just how much rest I got from seeing that those in my church who I disagreed with were prompted by faith. And that's exactly what Romans 14 is about in part, is Paul saying, look, you guys disagree, but you're all pursuing Jesus, which you can yes. take in a terrible direction where you feel like nothing's worth standing for, nothing worth fighting for, which obviously is not what the Bible calls to do. But in those issues we can disagree on, when when I can look for how faith is motivating this person who I disagree with, that in my mind takes the temperature way down. And as a result, mm. I'm not laying awake at night like having angry thoughts boil in my mind about that person. Yeah. So that seeing seeing their faith, like Paul talks about Romans 14, super helpful for me. Confession, you know, when when I'm a when I'm a weary pastor, I know that mm. a lot of that is me and not them. Mm. And there's just such a balm to my soul when I can go to the Lord and be honest and just say, I'm messing up because I know you love these people and you feel affection for these people and I don't. And you know that and you're not surprised by that. Help me, Lord. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I find that being honest with the Lord is super helpful when I'm feeling weary. Asking for prayer uh, from others has been really helpful to me. And just, I know it's going to sound like a very, you know, Christian response, but time in the Word, time in the Psalms. Yes. I mean, yeah. you know, Calvin talked about the, the Psalms, you know, are the whole anatomy of the soul. And there is almost no emotion you will experience related to that topic of weariness you will not find in the Psalms. And uh, just praying those as your own prayers. In so many of the Psalms, thinking about Jesus would have used those same Psalms to express his own weariness is, uh, I find that super helpful. Mm. Well, I can't wait to reference this conversation when I'm walking through seasons of weariness. I appreciate you meeting the listeners who are in that season right now. Thank you so much for joining us on the Journey Women podcast today. 
Oh, I love the questions. I love the topic of weariness. It's such an important one for us to get our hands around. And uh, yeah, I'll be praying that God will do good to this conversation. Thank you. Wasn't that encouraging? We pray that this conversation encourages you to extend a hand of friendship across the aisle and move towards members of your local church in love. If you found this episode helpful, consider sharing our Rest for the Weary series with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. That really does help get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it useful on their journey to glorify God. Also, if you're looking for Jamie's book or other resources from this series, you can find our Journey Woman specific storefront with 10 of those bookstore at the link in our show notes. You can also find all of our sponsor links and coupon codes mentioned in the podcast at journeywomenpodcast.com forward slash sponsors. As always, thanks for listening. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.